today's most interesting news is that Secret Service has drawn up plans to remove Donald Trump from the White House if the President refuses to accept defeat in next month's election. Thank goodness. President Trump's reluctance to accept the, the result of the election has raised questions over whether we'll accept a peaceful declaration of power should Joe Biden declare victory. His press, former press secretary says Trump is arguably the most hated person in Western civilization, if not the world. Arguably the most hated commander of chief of the modern era. If he loses, where is he going to go? He'll need to leave because the generals and the courts won't help him. Elsewhere in the eye, there's an excellent piece by Ian Burrell about why we're failing our most vulnerable in the health and social care sector. The English care inspector warned the pandemic has raised inequalities that risk turning fault lines into chasms and at the bottom of the pile, as always, are those with autism and learning disabilities that rely on state support. Bear in mind that we live in a society that locks up such people, even children. The key, the quality Care Commission has blatantly begun to hit out at such patches after endless horror stories in the media. The latest reports show a sharp rise in the proportion of inpatient services for people with autism and learning disabilities judged to be in- inadequate, up from 1 in 25 to more than 1 in 8. Almost all of this happened in independent services, it notes dryly. Ian Burrells' excellent piece concludes, The truth is, after presiding over the pandemic carnage, Boris Johnson seems happy to carry on paying vast sums of money to accounting alchemists who, de- who detain, destroy and fail citizens in cruel and often unsafe institutions. And le- meanwhile, in Lebanon, more than 6% of the people are now living under the poverty line. And 80% of the people who survived the huge explosion earlier this year have left the country, which is really quite remarkable. Stefan left the country after the blast to build her life elsewhere. Exactly one year ago, like countless others, she felt very differently. differently. She had been leading protester in Lebanon's uprising. For months, tens of thousands took the streets it was quickly dubbed Lebanon's Arab Spring. There were promises of real change. Stefan, who had taken her children to the euphoric demonstrations, said everyone would believe there was a tipping point. No one was talking about religion or sex or class. Everyone was united. It was something indescribably beautiful, she adds. But fast forward 12 months after the collapse of the economy and the 4th of August blast, and many protesters of Stefan have left. Or leaving others have scrimped and saved essential abroad. Those who do not have the means to leave describe feeling utterly hopeless. On 4th of August, we were in our homes, our cafes, with our children, and within seconds, we were walking in the streets of bodies and shattered glass and blood. She continues. October 17th was hope, rage, and anger, but so much hope. Right now, it feels hopeless. Sobering words from what's going on in Lebanon. Also, there's a paper review 
of Roadkill, which was an excellent drama last night, starting Beauty One. The story was crowded and occasionally impossible, says the television reviewer, but the incestuous dysfunction nature of politics felt disparatingly accurate. Here's targets here are specific and deserving, an abiding failure to admit fault, take responsibilities for one's behaviour, or adhere to basic principles. And that's available on iPlayer now, and is highly recommended. Earlier on today, on BBC Radio Scotland, just before nine o'clock, there was a brief discussion about why the nation's radio station is failing to adequately cover news. You can find this on BBC Sounds, and it's um, a worthwhile listen as it's very critical um, of what's going on at the BBC. It was tucked in just right at the very end of the, their main morning news programme, which whose ratings have gone really downhill and really isn't worth listening to because it's not moved with the times. And, and there's a bit of insight into that on the um, this the piece at the end of this uh, on um, BBC Sounds. Finally, a man in Egypt has been recognised as the world's oldest professional footballer after completing his second full match just short of his 75th birthday. He was awarded the title by the Guinness World Records after his team lost 3-2 to Elliott Sports Club in Egypt's third division on the 6th of October. Well done.